0: Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Turn with me, if you will, this morning to Matthew, the fifth chapter. As we continue in our series on the laws of discipleship, as we study the Beatitudes, we find that they're filled with laws of discipleship i hope it's been as exciting to you as it has been to me in matthew chapter 5 we come this morning to verse 8 but let's read verses 1 through 8 as we have a time of review for those of you that have not been with us through the whole study chapter 5 of matthew beginning with verse 1 and seeing the multitudes he went up into a mountain and when he was set his disciples came unto him And each time we've studied this, we wanted to remind ourselves of the fact that in all the multitudes that came to hear Christ, they were usually made up of three different kinds of groups of people. First of all, there were the curiosity seekers who loved to come and see what was going on, had no intention of listening in the sense of being transformed by what they heard. There was another group that were there that had heard and had learned, but in a sense of committal had never come to that place. For as soon as Christ would have turned his back, they would have been a part of his crucifixion. But then there was that group of disciples, Mathetes, those who had allowed the teaching of another to transform their lives. That's a disciple. And the multitudes were attracted to what Jesus was saying to his disciples. These were not addressed to the whole crowd. These were addressed to his disciples. And it's interesting to me that this is a picture of our churches today. It ought to be that way. The lost world is curious as to God's instructions to His disciples. And they come to hear. Well, it says in verse 2, And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the key word for understanding the Beatitudes is the word blessed. The word blessed is translated as happy is a very poor translation. Blessed simply means that we have the nature of God within us. For the Greeks would use this word to describe their gods. And certainly we do have His nature within us. They would also use this word to describe their dead. For the dead had left the sphere of this world where they were bogged down with sorrow and misery and suffering and had entered the sphere of blessedness. And in a sense, it's exactly what has happened to a Christian. For we have received the nature of God. We have died to ourselves. We have entered into a sphere that we can walk in peace even though the world may be in turmoil. And so when you're blessed, it also means one other thing. That means fully satisfied. For truly when you understand you have the nature of God, that you do have the peace that He gives to you, then you can walk fully satisfied in this earth. Well, who are these blessed people? Well, verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor is the word used for absolutely helpless. The person who has come to understand, he cannot help himself spiritually. The law has condemned him and he comes to the place of grace at the cross, and he receives the Lord Jesus into his heart as Lord and Savior, then he becomes blessed. And look, it says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is that spiritual kingdom that Jesus sets up in our life. The kingdom is the territory where a king reigns. Then in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we have the nature of God working in us, we sorrow for sin. Not only for our own, but we sorrow for the sin that's in this world today. This is our stance before God. We grieve as He grieved. Paul said, I want to fellowship with His sufferings. I want to suffer with Christ. And so we begin with His nature to suffer and to be mourning or sorrowing for the sin that's in this world. And we shall be comforted. And the comfort is that we enter into more of a oneness in that state of being blessed. More and more into the mind of the Savior. Verse five, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek there is not a person who's weak. Matter of fact, meekness is a virtue. It's something that stands between two extremes. It stands between the extreme of excessive anger and the extreme of excessive passivity. It knows when to be angry and it knows in what direction to put its anger. It deals with the problem and not the person. This is a meek person who has the nature of God, who sorrows over sin, but in that sorrow is angered at what sin is doing and does something about it. These three first beatitudes that we're given are laws of discipleship. Or really our stance before God. It's a picture of how we were saved. For we were poor in spirit. We mourned over our sin. We did something about it. We by faith received Him into our heart. And this becomes the attitude of our walk. Now, the next beatitude says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we had a good time with that last Sunday. As we see that we are thanking God many times for the food, we forget to thank Him for the hunger. Without the hungry, we wouldn't have the food. And the only thing that satisfies hunger is food. And Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. And as we hunger and thirst after Him and His righteousness, Jeremiah tells us that He is our righteousness. As we hunger after Him, we shall be filled, we shall be satisfied. And once we have used that which He has given, we hunger again. And that's the hunger of the Christian as he goes deeper into the righteousness of Christ. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And we talked about that. The merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. wish we had time to go back into that. I can't preach that again this morning. And then verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. We're going to look at today. For they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Law number 6 of laws of discipleship. It says, for they shall see God. Three things I want us to see. First of all, the meaning of the pure in heart. Secondly, the maintenance of the pure in heart. And you'll understand my outline as we go on, I hope. And the third thing is the motive of the pure in heart. Now, let's look at those three things and see what God can say to us in this beatitude as a law of discipleship in our Christian walk today. First of all, the meaning, the pure in heart. What does this signify to you and I? What is it telling you and I? Blessed the pure in heart. There's no verb in the Greek text. Blessed the pure in heart. Now, there are two words that are absolutely essential for us understanding the blessed life. We must understand these two words. The first word is the word justification. Justification. I wonder right now if we had everybody to stand up and we go down the rows. How many of us could tell someone else what it means to when you say the word justification? What does it mean to be justified? Well, let me help you. The word justified simply means to be made righteous. For the word justification, the word righteousness come from the same word. To be made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Someone said in a simplistic way of helping us understand that word years ago. It means to be cleansed totally of sin, and it means to be acquitted of any guilt in our life. We have been justified. We have been made righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the question comes up, how can we as sinful beings be made righteous. Well, second Corinthians 5:21 answers that very clearly. It says he that knew no sin became sin that we might be made the what of God? Righteousness of God. Righteousness, justification, being made righteous. So it was because of what Jesus did for you and I that we can be justified or made righteous. Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14 says that Jesus had taken those sins and nailed them to his cross. Praise him. Because that Jesus came and bore the curse of the law, fulfilled the law, and went to the cross, then you and I can be made righteous or justified. He paid a debt. He did not owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. We thank him for that. Well, What is the result, then, of justification? Now, this is very important. We have, because of being justified, being made righteous, we have a new heart. We have a pure heart. For our sins, though they were scarlet, have been made as white as snow. We have been given a pure heart. We have been made righteous. Let's look back and just go over some things we're supposed to know. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 shows us the result of that original sin on the heart of man. It shows what happens to his heart. Chapter 6 of Genesis in verse 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now this is backed up by Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, which says, The man's heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Now, before I go on, what do we mean by heart? You know, my heart is where my blood pumps in and out. And is this what he's speaking of? The word heart and the word mind many times are interchangeable in Scripture. But the word heart that we're seeing here, pure in heart, is speaking of the inner motivation of man, the very essence of what man is, his basic nature. His basic nature, the the very essence of man is spoken of as his heart. Okay? Now, watch. You say, oh, Brother Wayne, I think I know where you're going. Are you telling me that God changed our nature? Well, just hang on. Let's just let the Word of God say what it needs to say. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31, it tells that we're going to have a new covenant, a brand new covenant. And look with me in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, and we see one of the promises of that new covenant. Very important that we understand who the pure in heart are and what it means to have a pure, righteous heart. Look in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26. It's very clear what it says. Let's just let it say what it says. Verse 26 says, A new heart also will I give you. Now, why would man need a new heart? Well, he was of the seed of Adam. And what was the seed of Adam? What had it done to his heart? It made it deceitful and wicked above all things. And God says, I'm going to give you a new covenant. And in that covenant, I'm going to give you a promise of a new heart. Okay? And it says, And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh, one that will yield and one that will be in tune with my will. For you take a stone, a piece of flesh, you've got a big difference. One's hard and one's soft and one is yielding. And verse 7 says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Now the first thing that the Bible scholar tells us is that this is only referring to the Jews. You cannot use this with the Christian. The problem with that theory is in Romans chapter 11... Paul says the only reason the Gentiles are in is because the Jews have rejected all of this. They didn't want it. They rejected it. They were the ones who turned their backs on Him. And Paul said, because of that, you are the engrafted branches into the vine. Now, someone says, well, that's not good enough, Wayne. I still think it only refers to the Jews. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the mediator of a better covenant. And he goes back and refers to Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one where he had pro- prophesied that covenant to begin with. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29 gives us the text we're looking for. For there's no way it cannot refer to you and I as Christians. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. You say, well, it only refers to the Jews because they are of Abraham's seed. And this is a promise to them, not to Christians. (laughs) Well, just watch and see what happens. It says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29, And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Praise the Lord. You see, we have been given a new heart. Second Corinthians 5.17 means what it says and says what it means. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He has been given a new heart. He has been justified. He has been made righteous. He has a pure heart. And the word pure means to absolutely be cleansed. It's absolutely clear. Though our sins were as scarlet, they have been made as white as snow. But now, Wayne, listen. I understand what you're saying, but I've got a problem. Because if I have a pure heart, how come I still sin? And if you stretch that thing too far, you're going to be preaching sinless perfection. Isn't that true? (laughs) Well, folks, truth out of balance is heresy. And I hope you understand that. There have been many folks all over the country that have not understood something that I really believe is very beautifully balanced in this teaching, in the Beatitude. I said there were two words. One is justification. What happened? Made righteous, made pure. Our hearts have been given brand new hearts. Now, our nature is now the nature of God. We are new creations, okay? Now, the first, in the meaning, the meaning of pure in heart. Secondly, the maintenance of the pure in heart. Here's the second word. The second word is sanctification. And very few people have understood that word. What do you think it means this morning? Be sanctified. You know, we've taken these words and put them up on a shelf so high that man does not even willing to talk about them. Oh, we say them. Oh, God, thank you for sanctifying us. What do we mean by that? Do you know what you mean when you pray that? Sanctification. The word simply means set apart and separated unto God. Hagiosmos in the Greek. It means to be set apart Separated unto God, now that also happened at salvation. We were justified, made righteous, given a new heart, a brand new nature, and we were sanctified, set apart unto God. What know ye not you 're not you're bought with a price you're not your own. You see, we have been set apart, separated unto God. Now, justification deals with relationship. I have a son, his name is Stephen, and I hope he 's behaving in the service wherever he is. <laughs> My son is named there well good, Steve, you sitting right there now I picked on him and didn 't need to. All right, my son, Stephen, is my son. Right, Stephen, are you my son? Yes, you sure are. Okay, you can look at him and tell him he's my son. He falls over his feet everywhere he goes, just like his daddy. All right, and I love him. i tell you what, I'd fight the world for my son. We are related. He is my son. Now, he may not like it tomorrow, but he can't do anything about it. He is my son till he dies. He is related to me. That's... Like what we're saying, justification is that relationship. What happened the moment of salvation? Something that is once and for all, we stand on, we live out of. Now, sanctification deals with our fellowship. That's another word. Our walk, our growth. For you see, to be set apart under God involves a lifestyle. You can't just simply say, I have been sanctified without its being worked out in your life day by day. Now, there are many times that Stephen and I fellowship gets messed up <laughs> and the only time they get messed up is when he doesn't want to do what i want him to do and all of a sudden they get crossed up and i can't wait to tonight oh tonight blessed are the peacemakers i can't wait to share that but i can't yet i gotta get this one first <laughs> all right and that has to do with this beatitude they, they spring off of each other all right now fellowship okay justification is a once and for all act sanctification happened once but it's worked out it's a progress of our christian walk. now You see, we've been set aside, separated unto God. But one thing God did not do, and I have to thank Him for it. Some people are frustrated by it. I thank Him for it. I think it's the greatest check that He ever gave to man to make sure man walked by faith. And that is, He did not let us shed the body of flesh. He didn't do it. And He didn't do anything to redeem the body of flesh. He redeemed us in our spirit. We're born again in our spirit. These bodies are corruptible and must put on in corruption. Now, this body of flesh has been programmed to sin since the days of Adam. (laughs) Built into this body of flesh is that old human nature. I refuse to call it a sin nature. You disagree with me? That's fine. I love you anyway. Because the sin nature is that which God changed into His nature. However, I wear a body of flesh that does have a nature to it. It does have all the ways of the old man programmed into this mind. And the moment you're saved, conflict automatically arises within the Christian. Because Galatians 5, 17 says, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh is everything I was from the time I was born to the time I was saved. And God's not pleased with any of it. It has its own way of loving, its own way of thinking, its own way of doing. And God's not pleased with any of it whatsoever. It is unrighteous, substandard to God. But God has made me... Uh, with a new heart, I live in this body of flesh. And there's conflict And the conflict centers between these two ears right here in the mind for all that it was of Adam is programmed right here. Now, sanctification is simply a process of lining up your actions with your nature, which involves choice. Lining up your actions with your nature. What is your nature? It's the nature of God. I rebel against people who say I've got a dual nature. No, I don't. I have His nature. However, I have a body of flesh programmed into it with the old nature that has been put to death, buried. Now, listen, that nature continues to bother me and give me problems. And I've got to make conscious choices to line up my actions with that nature. Now look with me in 2 Timothy. I think it kind of gives us an example of what I'm talking about. 2 Timothy, Paul tells them to live a certain way and to do some things that helps us understand what we're saying. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. It says, Nevertheless, I'm breaking into a context, and that's always dangerous, but I believe the point comes out. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Okay, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel in honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see, Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, How can two walk together except they be agreed? We have got to learn to make choices to line our actions up with our nature. All of the remains of the old nature is in the mind, and the world influences that mind. That's why we need to stay in the Word which takes us out of the world. The word pure helps us in this scripture. It's catheteros, or catheros. And the word catharos is the word we get or use to get catheterize. When you catheterize something, you insert a tube, and that tube does what? Drains off the impurities, so therefore, with the Word of God, as we're renewed in the will of God, we have drained off of us that old part of us left in our mind that the flesh is, 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 we call the flesh. When you get into this sometimes, you feel like you have to put your boots on because it's so deep. We have to understand this thing. I hope you're with me. Now, a lot of folks are really disturbed when they hear they only have one nature, which is the nature of God. They have problems with that. Some people are imbalanced with it. They take off and say, hot dog, don't have to confess sin anymore. Don't have, hey, I can live like I want to. Where'd you get that? You see, that would be fine if you didn't have a body of flesh that you had to wear around. The body of flesh is programmed by the old nature for years and years and years. And it continues to hammer against the things God wants you to do. That's why we have to be renewed by the Word. And when you're renewed, you're deprogramming that which had been programmed in. And it brings forth on the outside a transformation. And so sanctification, even though it was established as salvation, is something that has to be a process of working out. That which is on the inside getting out on the outside and people seeing the Jesus that is living in us, they see it on the outside. Well, lining up our actions with our nature. the lifelong experience and nobody's going to attain it on this earth. I'll just tell you that. Paul said, I, I cannot say as I have attained it, but I... I do put behind me the things that were there, and I press on towards the mark of the high calling of the Lord Jesus. How do we do that? Well, when we sin, what is sin? Sin is simply choosing against the will of God, which comes out of that old proclivity in our mind of the old man. And when we choose against it, that's unrighteous. We begin to work out of the flesh and its energy. And what happens is that's qualified as sin or unrighteous. And God says in 1 John 1, 9, if you'll confess your sin, He's faithful and just to cleanse you of how much unrighteousness all unrighteous Isn't that good <laughs> he just cleanses it away the bath has already been there peter said one day oh lord give me a bath god said you've already had your bath you just simply need to have your feet washed and so we're cleansed by that which we've already been bathed with well that might have lost you in that one <laughs> but what we're saying here is the fact that a man can see himself on both sides of the coin in this verse now tomorrow don't miss part two of this great teaching on Verse-by-Verse Bible Study with Dr. Wayne Barber. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.